I just think that he should be showing up for work. Uh, Ron, when he we, just he just had a baby. We, I mean, what are we supposed to do? Uh, well, I don't. Yeah, a baby. Okay, that's fine. But we have a podcast. This is our baby. We made this all together. I just think, whatever. Let's just do this. Let's go. Let's do it. You and I. Well, no paternity leave. That's for sure. This is the blue man group. This is the blue man group. This is the blue man group. Well, hello, everybody. My name is Ron Ecstasy, and this is Blue Men Group. Today, I'm joined by my co-host, Devin Welsh. Hi, What's thank up, you Devin? for having me. Uh, yeah, thanks for being here in the newsroom. Some of us have decided to show up to record today. Um, if you heard uh, our previous Blue Men Group special news update, um, I gave a uh, very short, I encourage you to listen to it, news update. There's plenty of news in there. With regards to our co-host, John Biedren, um, who is not here. Who's absent for uh, not very good reasons. I mean, you know, the dog ate my homework. Well, I mean... There, there's there's massive yeah. flooding in my area. I just had a baby. Whatever. It doesn't matter. Right. And it's... There, when this is... I don't mean to be nitpicky, but... John keeps on saying, like, I had a baby. And I'm like, John, you didn't have the baby. Okay. Like, I know how biology works, I think. So that's whatever that we're, we're going to, we're going to tackle that. John will probably, uh, you know, he'll, he'll, maybe he'll pop into this one. We don't know. We hope he does. But, uh, if not, that's okay. John, listen, I, 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 I wish you the best. I wish you the best. But let's get into this. We've got history. Let's go into. This Week in History. 1976. Mao Zedong, founding leader of Communist China, dies in Beijing at age 82 after years of tumultuous and autocratic rule. Under Mao's successors, China embraces free market reforms, becoming one of the world's fastest-growing economies. 1956. A milestone in early rock and roll, Elvis Presley makes the first of three wow. celebrated okay. wow. appearances on the Ed Sullivan Show. So we've got a couple of real heavyweights uh, for this uh, week yeah. in history. Um, I, one, I hate to say it, they're both culture vultures. They culture love vultures, yeah. culture. They, they just live... They just live for it. Obsessed um, with it, making Mao it, Zedong. regulating it, everything. Yep. Mao Zedong, a uh, handsome man, died at 82, they said. looked Didn't look his best when he died. They showed a, uh, a photo of him uh, lying in repose. Is that what you call it? Uh, I don't yeah. Know. Well, um, I mean, he probably was and, already decomposing a little bit, maybe. Yeah. And then um, Elvis Presley died on the toilet i believe that's the that's kind of the 
popular idea of how he died. But he was on lots of drugs, and he was just not doing well. But the the funeral that Mao Zedong had, you know, is the funeral that, frankly, Elvis Presley deserved. I don't really know much about Elvis Presley's funeral, but I can imagine it wasn't as um, as uh, grand as as Mao Zedong's funeral. No, he didn't lay in state. I know that they didn't. Yeah, they didn't take him to. Uh, they didn't take Elvis to like uh, the 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 Capitol building in in Washington or anything. They should have. They could have. Yeah. They did. I think it's very well known that uh, um, Mao Zedong was heavily influenced by Elvis Presley. Um, that you know. Yes. That there, there's a famous story of him seeing the Elvis Presley performance uh, on a TV screen in a kind of shop window, mm-hmm. and uh, he mm-hmm. sees him shaking his hips and Mao Zedong. You know, people that were with him, he un- subconsciously started shaking his own hips along with with <laughs> Elvis Presley, and um, his he completely transformed overnight. He became this this guy with uh, revolutionary ideas and hopes and dreams. Uh, that yep. he hadn't had before, and that's the power of rock and roll. Yeah. you know, to change it, history. To, exactly. Yeah, it's that uh, that seven seven bar blues. You know, it can really shake your mind and uh, kind of those cobwebs uh, out of your out of your mind, off your hips. That was the thing. Mao Zedong had not moved his hips in years, and he saw Elvis do that, and and again shaking those cobwebs off. That allowed him to put in a plan for the people of China, of which there were, you know, more than a million of. Uh, and he he did that with grace. He did it with style. He did it with um, books. He did it with. He didn't release any albums. I don't think. I don't think Mao Zedong released any any gold records or, or platinum records like Elvis did. But uh, yeah, I feel like the Cultural Revolution was kind of his hit record you know in a way that was his his work of art yeah um um elvis as as you may know i've i i know a little bit about elvis's uh funeral i've mentioned this before there's a video online of a young man at elvis's funeral mourning uh elvis's passing who looks just like bill clinton and that is my theory that uh elvis is bill clinton's father because he was playing at certain casinos in and around Arkansas in the Mississippi Delta right around the time Elvis was born. Okay, it may have been, uh, you know, a bit bit weird in the age ranges, but hey, this was the South in the 1940s or something. And uh, it's, I mean, take that one to your parents. Let them know that at Thanksgiving dinner that, that truly Elvis is, is the father of Bill Clinton. Let's move along as we uh, bury Mao into the ground and uh, Elvis shakes the cobwebs, cobwebs off of our off of our mind and, and revolutionary potential to see what's in the new. What is in the news? All right, Dev, we got some we got some news here. Uh, now, listen, this is going to be a bit uh, uh, papal heavy. So put your put your papal pants on and your papal hat uh, of which you can just buy them on eBay and stuff like that. Kind of like a replica of the one that the Pope wears. We've got a headline here. 
Hungary awaits Pope Francis with a sweet bite of heaven. Now, I want to say that this was mailed in by our co-host, John Biedren. He mailed this to us. Thank you, John. John, John is, yeah. uh, with, the, with the birth of his uh, child, he is also a recent convert to the Catholic faith. Yes. Um, but He's he converted um, for the reasons that we will go into today, that there's been a bit of a shift in the Catholic Church, um, particularly that we've noticed, yeah. in the attitude of the Pope uh, himself. Yes, and exactly. it's led to some people leaving the church, but then others, like John Bedrin, joining the church. And you'll see why. Yeah, so this is this is exactly there is a rift. It's a this has happened before in the Catholic Church many times before, but this is the thing. We're witnessing one right now, and it has to do with sweets. Confectioner Zost Carl has made a special cake he calls a bite of heaven. Using dried fruits mentioned in the Bible and hopes Pope Francis will taste his creation during his visit to Hungary this Sunday. So, Pope Francis is due to arrive in mainly Roman Catholic Hungary on Sunday to celebrate a Mass in Budapest's historic Heroes Square. Then, he will head to Slovakia on the same day for a visit culminating in an open-air Mass at the Sastin Pilgrimage site in western Slovakia on September 15th. So what we've got here is a small taste of the changes in oh. the Catholic Church um, around uh, delectable sweets, goodies, um, and other tasty treats. Zos Carl, I was, I was going to say that this guy seems to have zoned in on something. He knows about Pope Francis's sweet tooth, right? Like, how do I get to this guy? Just focus on that one tooth that he has that is extremely sweet. Mm -hmm. And you can essentially change the Catholic Church this way, because what is going to touch his sweet tooth? One of his bites of heaven confections. Absolutely. Uh, Carl, who runs a cake shop in the small town of Dunaharasti, Duna <laughs> mm -hmm. south of Budapest, yes. won a national competition for the cake, which he served for the first time at a Eucharistic Congress in Budapest this week. So he's I was very supposed kind of, to MC that. I was supposed to MC the Eucharistic Congress in Budapest, but I couldn't. I missed my flight. I cooked a sugar syrup with cinnamon and honey, and I put the diced dried fruits in it, he said. We experimented mm. with the proportions of the dried fruits so that when one eats the cake, one feels different tastes in every five to ten seconds. So mm. he knows that the Pope also has a notoriously short attention span. And uh, yes. in any good little treat for the Pope, you need the flavors to be changing quite Always significantly. Yeah. Under the conditions of the contest, the cake had to be simple, last long without cooling, and be made using ingredients contained in the Bible, such as figs, dates, apricots, plums, and honey. Carl's cake, which mm. has a pastry similar to a Hungarian specialty bigly, a roll usually filled with poppy seed or walnut and traditionally made for Christmas, is filled with, as you can expect, dried figs, plums, dates, and apricots, as well as candied cherries, sugared orange peel, and roasted almonds. I really hope that the Pope will taste our pastry, Carl said. Um, wow. Expressing the hope That's... of so many millions across this world. Yeah, there, it's it's interesting, you know, there's a lot of it, it, people are really going through the ringer. The globe is going through the ringer with this uh, global pandemic, uh, climate change, and um, just uh, it, it, trying to live life in the face of austerity. 
And the one this, way to get to the Pope is through uh, sweets. If you just put these things together, dried figs, plums, dates, apricots, ch candy, cherries, sugared orange peels, and roasted almonds, you could potentially change the world. This, also, this follows on the heels of the recently released papal encyclical, um, mm -hmm. uh, a sort of, uh, sort of blog post update that the Pope does from time to time. And mm -hmm. uh, this one, uh, I won't read you the, the original Latin, but translates to, I like sweets. And it's kind of about how it's important to me that I taste the rainbow. I, I sample bits and pieces of every culture around the world. And through doing that, something something about promoting the church people are taking up that call and uh yes no in, in that um it's it's kind of hidden and, and it's one of those things where if you read every every first letter of the uh encyclical it, it it uh kind of spells something out and what he's saying is i like to taste something different every five to ten seconds that's where so, he's kind of alluding to his uh attention span the this is he's been working from home because of covid his uh, attention preoccupation attention span ADD's acting up he can't he can't get his you know he's not stretching his legs out taking a walk in the Vatican all that kind of stuff he's just staying in and eating sweets um, um, and he wants but, new tastes every five to ten seconds but this is not an isolated story um, there's mm -hmm. a, a sort of a, a companion piece to this which illustrates the nature of this obsession, this newfound obsession of the Pope mm -hmm. being the Pope, he doesn't only like to receive, he also likes to no. give. And oh, uh, in Europe, so prisoners got 15,000 gelati from Pope during Rome's long hot summer. So this is an example of the Pope uh, sort of, you know, do, practicing what he preaches and uh, yep. paying it forward. He eats sweets, you eat yep. sweets. <laughs> in Vatican City, they were not get-out-of-jail-free cards, but they were possibly one of the next best things. During one of... <laughs> it, I think getting out of jail would be significantly better than getting yes. the gelati, but maybe, like, number one on the list, and then number two on the list, there's, like, a huge chasm. Massive gap, yeah. Um, but gelati, it, I guess, the, is number two. The size of the gap is the same as the the, the gap between the... the pro-sweet and the anti-sweet factions of the the current Catholic Church. But ladies and gentlemen, this is the new Catholic Church. This is what you're seeing. This is what John Biedron signed up for. It's all about sugary, sweet tastes, like wonderful kind of complex uh, harmonies of flavors and aromas. Natural during flavors. One, during one of Italy's hottest summers on record, Pope Francis sent 15,000 ice creams to inmates in Rome's two prisons, the Vatican said on Tuesday. A statement from the Pope's charity office said they were sent to the two prisons, the older Regina Coeli Jail on the Tiber River mm -hmm. in the center and the modern Rebibia prison in the city's outskirts. Both beautiful, both beautiful prisons. Both beautiful, beautiful prisons would love Made to be there. They were delivered in his name by Polish Cardinal Konrad Krajewski, who is known as the Pope's almoner or one who distributes what? alms to the poor. Alms. Uh, not to be confused with the Pope's almonder who feeds exactly. the Pope almonds and almond-based almonds, yeah. uh, cakes and things. Krajewski yep. at 57, one of the youngest cardinals, uh, so hmm. he's a young whippersnapper at 57, has also set up medical and bathing facilities for the homeless near the Vatican at Francis' direction since the pontiff's election in 2013. 
no mention of toothbrushes or toothpaste none none um which is a concern to me not yep. it's not going to turn me against the initiative but it is something that mm-hmm. i think was overlooked the summer was one of the hottest on record in Italy, with one city in Sicily reporting 49 degrees Celsius in August, believed to be the highest temperature ever recorded in Europe. Kryuski's office also sent a $600,000 computerized tomography scan machine to a health facility in Madagascar and about 2 million euros of funds to improve medical facilities in three unnamed excuse me, I just ate a, a sweet. In three unnamed yep. African countries during the summer, this statement said. So wow. in terms of climate change plans, I think uh, delivering ice cream to the prisoners is pretty up there. I think that would cool them yeah. off in, um, that would. in kind of dangerously high temperatures. Yeah, it's somewhat of a temporary action, but I guess better than nothing. You know, we're, we're, we're it's difficult to uh, get exactly what we want here. But um this is interesting. Yeah, sending a uh, CT machine, CAT scan, or, or I think that's what it is, computerized tomography. Um, uh, they've also, I this isn't in the uh, article, but this, uh, I, I mean, as you know, I have my own, my own research on this. They bought a uh, candy phone factory. The, mm-hmm. the factories that make those candy phones that are filled with little tiny pieces of candy fake cell phones for children usually they're they bought one of those factories they're going to they're going to change it around into a uh they're going to use dates figs dried cherries apricots that kind of natural stuff they're going to make small candy phones for for the pope Um, yeah they're rerouting the production exclusively into the vatican it's no longer going out anywhere the vatican cut a deal they're going to send them x amount of money per month and they're going to just pump in trucks full of candy made from only biblical Mm. ingredients yeah so the uh the pope has been during over covid this is part of the papal shift as we've been calling it um the 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 pope has learned about vertical integration and he wants to bring everything into the uh into the vatican it's kind of he's been reading a lot of business books he's been reading like harvard business blogs he uh, mm-hmm. signed up for a few Patreons about business and finance. He's really into that stuff now. Um, I believe that was in the uh, encyclical too. Uh, so there's a, clearly a shift happening in the Catholic Church. It's it's heavily centered around sugar. I, I, now listen, I'm just giving my two cents. Uh, I don't know what the uh, exchange rate on euros is. Oh, one euro is uh, 0.84. Sorry, one dollar is uh, 0.84 euro. So my two cents, figure that out on your own is uh the pope's trying to co- corner the world the global sugar market mm-hmm. and to what end that's the question to what end is the question exactly and the, the fact that you <laughs> use the, to use his uh you know his first language uh um, thank you qui bono who benefits from this yes. arrangement this sudden yes. fixation on sugar we don't know yeah, um, it is weird. It is, and as you said, there's no dentist. There's no toothbrush situation. I don't know who the best dentist in the Vatican is. That's not for me to to decide. But are they going out of business? It would it would be it would be interesting to see how they're, you know, uh, going up against this. This is this is crazy. This is this is absolutely. Cra- I can't believe the M- mainstream media MSM is not even covering this. This is absolutely. The new culture war is in your mouth and in the Pope's mouth and uh, down the esophagus into the digestive system. 
it's all in there. So that's where the battlefield is. We're fighting and we're bringing you this news so that you can choose a side. Yeah, chew, choose a side. Yeah, that's up to you. Uh, we know where John stands on this. Uh, we will be uh, probably, there was talk of us, the Blue Men Group, visiting the Vatican, doing a live from the Vatican show uh, that has been on hold due to COVID. Um, but we are getting our uh, uh, visas into the Vatican. I know you're saying you don't need a visa to get in the Vatican. Guess what? I do um, because of some things that I've previously said on other podcasts and, and uh, web streams, including the Ron Ecstasy News Network. Uh, I am on watch. It's much easier for me to get into North Korea than it is the Vatican. Let's just say that. But one place that's not difficult for me to get into is China. So let's go over to China because we got a news story over here from China. Uh, China has built a massive 190-foot statue of a god of war that locals don't like. Now, it'll cost more than $20 million to move the hulking work of art. So you can look this up if you're listening at home. Um, but uh, you, what you'll see if you do look it up is a kind of gigantic uh gold statue of a sort of um a warrior in flowing robes holding uh what looks to be a scepter or a broomstick unsure but very very big extremely big it's absolutely massive and he's standing on like what looks like a boat but it's not it's like steps and stairs but it's kind of shaped like a boat but uh I've never, there's nothing comparable, I don't think, in the United States. Maybe the the uh, the heads of the, the president's thing, but not actually. This is way bigger. So the article says, it'll cost the Chinese city of Jingzhou a whopping 20 million to relocate a 190-foot tall statue of Chinese warrior god Guang Yu. Hmm. The eye-watering sum drew the ire of local anti-graft officials who released a sharply worded statement on September 7th, calling for more <laughs> oversight when approving large projects, like the construction of this colossal bronze statue back in 2016. Yeah. <laughs> anti-graft officials. Uh, what is that? Yeah. Gra- graffiti? Or, or, they, they, or like things like skin grafts? Like they don't want... Is it a medical thing? Uh, it could be. They could double, but I think one of the meanings would be uh, sort of anti-corruption. You know, like they don't want got it, to got it. expenditures uh, yes, where not needed. Yes. And this is kind of, I, I sort of see this story as like um, the main emotion is embarrassment. Yes. You know, it's like you build a um, 190-foot statue, a gold-flowing warrior guy holding a broomstick, and everybody hates it. And then you, so you, you spent $46 million to build it and then nobody likes it. And now you need to spend another 20, 20 million, uh, to, to move it somewhere else. Um, it's kind of like a, a vibe error, like somebody, <laughs> yeah. somebody misunderstood they, what people wanted. Yeah, like, exactly. I think, There's a, I think they'll want the 190 foot statue and then didn't check with the anti-graft officials, didn't really look into it that much, just went ahead, spent the $46 million, built it, and uh, turns out it was a bad bet. But also, yeah, it's incredible where they started, you would think that at like 15 feet, somebody would notice, be like, oh yeah, what's going on over here? And then it's like, 
40 feet and it's like holy shit and then it eventually gets to 190 feet tall yeah and they're still like yeah i don't know about this and yeah. then they wait for it to be finished and be like do you want i don't like this yeah they, they say, had you should have said something it's like well i don't know yeah I exactly was... and the the artist is like what what do you mean you don't like it you just paid me i just had to employ like thousands of people to to uh make this guan okay. yu statue Excuse me. Uh, the original cost twenty six million, not forty six. The forty six oh, is the okay. total expenditure total. for building yeah. the thing, then moving the thing. That's like yeah. how much they're in the hole for in the, with their shame. Uh, yeah. Additionally, the statue was located in an area where city regulations ban buildings from being taller than seventy eight feet. But the statue's uh, advocates managed to wriggle around a regulatory loophole to get its construction green lit. What? So that's where the anti-graft officials come in. They perk their ears yeah. up at these kinds of things. Um, the statue was touted at its unveiling as the world's biggest bronze statue of the general. So mm -hmm. not the biggest bronze statue, but of the general. Of that general, yeah. But not everyone was a fan. The Chinese central government said that the statue ruined Jingzu's historical appearance and culture. <laughs> <laughs> and it, please look up the statue because it it's so large it's so large it's, like if you if you were in the city you there was nothing else you could see in the sky other than this statue it's it's it, it's wild and it's kind of it's it's kind of ugly it's it's a it is it's a big gauche. i don't like it it's a bit complicated it's not yeah easy to look at it's not something that inspires one when you take a look at it but you spend no. 26 million and now everybody's mad at you and yeah. you're probably going to get fired, maybe going to get killed. Yeah. Who knows? It doesn't look timeless. I will say that. It doesn't look like a timeless statue. Um, some, it looks some, of the ci some of the city's residents complained that the attraction was an eyesore, telling local broadcaster Sina News that Jingzu locals don't go there. <laughs> <laughs> it's in an area that nobody goes to. That's so good. Uh, uh, yeah, images circulated on Weibo. The country's uh, Twitter platform, which I have millions and millions of followers on, uh, of the war god being decapitated while the workers toiled to remove it piece by piece. The humongous statue is being shifted to Dianjiangtai, a less conspicuous tourist precinct about five miles from its current location. Wow. So they were just five miles off. They just yeah. And they missed built the it whole thing. Miles. And now they have to tear the whole thing down. One I guess that's one. good news piece for the piece. construction workers. Yeah, this um, sounds like a make make work project. Yeah, that's what we should be doing in America, building mm -hmm. like 200 foot monstrosities around the country that everyone will fucking hate. And then yeah. as soon as it's done, everyone hates it as expected. There's an outcry and then we take it down and we move it somewhere else and then we just repeat the process. Like say like a 400 foot statue of George Washington, we just move it around the country. Just building it up, tearing it down, building it up, yep. tearing it down, and we we'll we'll build back better that way. I think better than ever. Yep. Um, so at the time of Guan uh, Yu's statue construction, it joined the leagues of other mega statues in the country of China. So these range from the behemoth Buddhas to the gargantuan goddesses, but also include more bizarre statements like a massive Chairman Mao, who uh, recently uh, he died on this day. Um, and let's not forget, on January 5th, 2016, uh, Chinese villagers started building a gigantic golden statue to honor Chairman Mao. Mm -hmm. And it is 
equally as large and in a like area that not many people are in. So that is interesting. Um, it seems as though these massive statues are something very popular in China. Um, there is also a mammoth Marin, Marilyn Monroe in China for, for some reason. And, I don't know uh, why. Yeah. I mean, again, the make work idea, I think, is the... is yes. the, um, See, that's applying the cui bono from the earlier story. Mm -hmm. We can apply Can you tell that, us what that means, Devin, that logic. Again? The concept of who benefits from a certain arrangement mm -hmm. of things uh, or from a certain action. And um, in this case, we we can see that it is the uh, the people that are getting paid to put these things up and tear them down. And um, this phenomenon, unfortunately, in China is far from over. As uh, last September, Ulankab, China's potato city, floated an idea to construct a statue of a hulking potato twice the size of a regular building to celebrate its heritage. So in China, they're going, they're going crazy. They're putting up giant potato statues and they are moving them willy-nilly all over the place at the whim of the public. Yeah, so willy-nilly is right. This is happening in China. We're keeping an eye on this. We're, and we're also proposing this idea for the United States. We, as Devin said, we need these kinds of uh, job creation things. You talk about infrastructure. I talk about golden statues that are somewhere around 200 feet tall. And I want them in most cities in America. And with a transition here to, uh, to shock the world, um, one form of, uh, you know, Ch China's, uh, <laughs> China's society is clearly evolving. Um, yes, as these statues yes. grow more and more gargantuan. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, another form of evolution that's possibly even more important to us all, uh, since not all of us are Chinese, but all of us are human, yes. is human evolution. Uh, I've got an article from sciencealert.com, a trusted source. Yes. More and more humans are growing an extra artery, showing we're still evolving. Oh no my way. God! Extra we, artery. So we are Where? not finished, folks. We are not. Uh, we are not a. Uh, the project is not wrapped on uh, the human race. Uh, we are still moving, still progressing, still building those statues to the sky. Picturing yep. how our species might appear in the far future often invites wild speculation over standout features such as height, brain size, and skin complexion. Yet subtle shifts in our anatomy today demonstrate how unpredictable evolution can be. Take something as mundane as an extra blood vessel in our arms, which going by current trends could be commonplace within just a few generations. No way. A few so, generations. A few generations. That's that's John's uh, John's baby's, baby's child baby. in the future yeah. could have a fully developed extra blood vessel oh my God. in their arm. John will still be alive to see it and... Um, yeah. You know, we will be reporting on that uh, as mm -hmm. it occurs in about fifty or sixty years. And, and do you artery, want, this is this this is interesting. Let me let me just say something that I remember the day that uh, Mao Mao died, Mao Zedong. I uh, got up and and there was a microphone just placed outside of my front door, and I just gave a little speech for Mao. Mm -hmm. And uh, at that time, I said, "Let's think about evolution, not revolution." And mm -hmm. that, that kind of ties in, because he didn't have that extra artery. 
Um, and that's why he died, actually. That was, if he had right. had that extra artery, then probably the, lived, uh, yeah. the death would have been prevented. Probably would have lived, yeah. So that's, that's, uh, that's um, evolution for you. Um, you know, our, our forefathers die without arteries so that we may live we, with extra arteries. Um, yeah, so I wonder if it's going to do anything here. So that artery that, uh, excuse me, artery that temporarily runs down the center of our forearms will while we're still in the womb, isn't vanishing as often as it used to. According to researchers at Flinders University in Adelaide, Australia, f- very famous uh, mm-hmm. artery university. It's, very, it's where they study all the arteries. Um, yeah, so that means that there are more adults than ever with what amounts to be an extra channel of vascular tissue flowing under their wrist. So this anatomist, hmm. Tegan Lucas said, since the 18th century, anatomists have been studying the prevalence of this artery in adults, and our study shows it's clearly increasing. The prevalence was around 10% in people born in the mid-1880s compared to 30% of those born in the late 20th century. So that's a significant increase in a fairly short period of time when it comes to evolution. So in and, that uh, period, yeah, that period of time, you know... Um, it's easy to look uh, to look at history from the perspective of you know world wars and uh, mass starvations and uh, all of these types of things. But while you know while the uh, the scramble for Africa was taking place, and then the First World mm-hmm. War, the Great Depression, the Second World War, the Cold War, nine um, eleven, even while all of these events were taking place, there was a subtler history taking yes. place under our skin, and only a few people knew about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, people people like Tegan Lucas at Flinders University in Adelaide f- fully paying attention to this. I would be I would wonder if they even know about COVID and and 9/11 and all those things. They are so no busy re- researching these arteries. Yeah, they now, focus also, exclusively. Yeah. Uh Tegan Lu- Lucas also really good with maps. I will say that. Great part-time hobby cab driver does it just for the uh for the fun of the game, just to know where all the streets lead to. Mm-hmm. Um, so the median artery forms fairly early in development in all humans. So probably John's babies probably has a median artery happening right now. Transporting oh, yeah. blood down the median of our, the center, excuse me, you can call it the median if you want, of our arms to feed our growing hands. Uh, around eight weeks, at around eight weeks, it usually regresses. Eight weeks of what? Like after you're born or when you in the womb or... Whatever. Uh, leaving the task to two other vessels, the radial, which we can feel when we take a person's pulse. Is everybody taking their pulse right now? Do you take your pulse during the show? I do. And the ulnar arteries. Um, mm-hmm. Anatomists, something I didn't know existed until about mm, seven minutes ago, have known for some time that this withering away of the median artery isn't a guarantee. In some cases, it hangs around for another month or so. Uh, sometimes mm. we're just born with it, still pumping away, feeding either just the forearm or in some other cases, the hand as well. See, I think that I can probably guess that I don't have that artery because mm. my hands are not very big. Mm. And I think um, that's probably because my uh, my extra artery disappeared quite quickly. Hmm. Well, I think I may have a few too many arteries personally speaking, uh, my hands won't stop growing. They're the size of, uh, 
large basketballs and uh, my hands feel just like two balloons. There is no, I forget the rest of the lyrics to the Pink Floyd song, but uh, <laughs> to um, compare read- the prevalence <laughs> yeah, of uh, this persistent for- blood channel, yeah. uh, Lucas and his colleague uh, Masi Henneberg and another person from University of Adelaide examined 80 limbs from cadavers, all donated by Australians of European descent. The donors ranged from 51 to 101 on passing, which means they were nearly all born in the first half of the 20th century. So these people, uh, these these scientists uh, making noble advances, they spend most of their time around dead bodies. Yeah, which is gross. Um, which it's is disgusting. something to think about. Um, yeah, I think it's more article- like... Yeah, have a talk on the fact that the that. artery seems to be three times as common in adults today as it was more than a century ago is a startling find that suggests natural selection is favoring those who hold on to this extra bit of bloody supply. Oh. I don't think it was supposed to say bloody, but maybe it was. No, this increase yeah. could have resulted from mutations of genes involved in median artery development or health problems in mothers during pregnancy, or both. Oh, no. Actually, says Lucas. Right. So we might imagine having a persistent median artery could give dexterous fingers or strong forearms a dependable boost of blood long after we're born. Yet having one also puts us at a greater risk of carpal tunnel syndrome, an mm-hmm. uncomfortable condition that makes us less able to use our hands. No, so I'm kind of glad I know about that. that. I, yeah, I don't. I don't I know have about carpal that. tunnel. I uh, I sometimes would at certain jobs when I'd be typing all day and on my computer I would definitely get some uh, arm pain. This is something to remember if you are experiencing any carpal tunnel symptoms. You got to keep your whole arm on the on the uh, on that desk when you're using your computer, and uh, you know you got to stretch those out. And there's some great stretches if you're interested in some carpal tunnel stretches. I can give those to you. They were given to me by a friend of Devin's, uh, Mr. Duffy. Uh, if the tre- uh, to just finish this off, uh, Lucas says, if this trend continues, a majority of people will have median artery of the forearm by 2100. Whoa. So if the trend continues, but yeah, 2100. So whatever kind of hellscape people will be experiencing, they will not be without their extra artery. That is in 79 years. We're going to be expecting those in everyone. Every, it's going to be standard, like a car, like uh, airbags or uh, automatic brake systems, anti-lock brake systems. Um, mm-hmm. Something to look forward to. If you if you don't think that there's anything to look forward to, I encourage you to look into the long game of evolution. It's quite the uh, thing that you can get into. This the, this shit's happening all the time in our body. It's disgusting. <laughs> <We're> disgusting <laughs> bodies. <laughs> So yeah, that's that's interesting. That's good. We've got human evolution, not revolution, uh, Mr. Mao. That that was. It's kind of the uh, uh, the Elvis versus um, um, uh, Mao situation again, right in our faces. <laughs> it's uh, it's it's appearing in many different ways here. What do you think about that, John? John? John, where's John? Okay, let's uh, close the book here on what's in the news for our top stories and take you to our legal desk for the legal Legal victory of the week. We've got a big, big victory. we Massive. we all know you all know how you know pessimistic Blue Men Group can be about the U.S. Uh, legal system. How so often um, 
you know, the victims of society uh, do not get uh, a voice, uh, you know, before the courts. But uh, today, uh, we are happy to announce that there has been a breakthrough, um, a moment that we can all celebrate, in a way. The headline, That's right. parents must pay $30,441 for getting rid of son's porn cash. Oh. This is in Grand Haven, Michigan. Michigan. A judge, a judge has ordered a Western Michigan couple to pay $30,441 to their son for getting rid of his pornography collection. That is one hell of a collection, by the way, too. And I'm, I'm imagining these aren't uh, uh, MPEGs, uh, MOVs, JPEGs, BMPs. I don't think this, this man is dealing in these types of uh, porn, pornographic uh, styles. I have a feeling these may be books, videos, DVDs, Blu-rays, perhaps? Mm -hmm. NFTs? Posters. What is this? Coloring Posters? books? Coloring books? My Paint God. by numbers? Uh, we don't know, but we know <laughs> that uh, it was expensive, it was valuable, it was rare. Mm -hmm. um, U.S. District Judge Paul Maloney agrees um, mm -hmm. and brought down a decision this week uh, coming eight months after David Working, 43, won a lawsuit against his parents. So David Working, the 43-year-old, he's working hard at something. <laughs> Um, he said they had no right to throw out his collection of films, magazines, Damn and right. other items. Working had lived at their Grand Haven home for 10 months after a divorce before moving to Muncie, Indiana. Mm. Yeah, so the judge yeah. followed the value set by an expert who uh, <laughs> will so, go unnamed. Ron X. Who is, is, the, <laughs> who is uh, the unnamed expert that, yeah. that can value the, uh, the porn collection? I, I really don't know. Yeah, um, in Michigan, that's so weird. John has been missing for quite a little bit of time here now. Yeah, that's so true. Um, so, Working's parents also must pay $14,500 to their son's attorney. So, he's just <laughs> completely bilked his parents yeah. um, of potentially, who knows, like they, they may have to get rid of their house. Like he may be, this may turn into something that he didn't quite intend. Like uh, he was probably just very upset that his porn was gone. And now he's yeah. making his parents pay, <laughs> quite yeah, literally. Yeah, now his parents, his parents are now potentially going to be out on the street because <laughs> Mr. Working needs his uh, his magazines. <laughs> and his, um, but his collections of films and magazines. These are the hard choices that we all have to make in this life. Um, you know, sometimes we, we come to a crossroads and we don't really know which way to go. Mm. And uh, Mr. Working came to a crossroads and uh, made what we at Blue Men Group feel was the right choice. Not accepting the the loss, but rather fighting it all the way in the courts, the American way. Um, the article ends, a very brief article, um, kind of more remarkable for what it omits than what it says, uh, <laughs> by saying, uh, with a quote from uh, Mr. Working's father in an email, frankly, David, I did you a big favor getting rid of all this stuff. Wow. It sounds um, like there's some uh, deep, you know, there may be some conversations that they, they haven't had um, just one-on-one -on -one or one-on-two -on -one -on with the parents, you know, like David and his parents. They, it, it doesn't seem like they, they talked about this. They went straight to uh, the court. They decided to 
take legal action instead of just you know maybe having a conversation about some of these things. Now I'm looking a little bit deeper here. There were 107 titles on in mm-hmm. this collection. So he originally valued the collection at 25 grand, but asked the judge for triple damages for what his attorney called the wanton destruction of property. Also, the uh, in in this second article on MLive.com, a Michigan-based website, we learn that uh, a judge referred to the collection as a trove of pornography and an array of sex toys. So not only oh. the pornography, but um, a number of toys for additional stimulation. It says that there there was a dozen boxes. So again, these are 107 titles. Have to imagine a lot of sex toys, and then a dozen boxes of pornographic films and magazines that he lost. Which pretty pretty amazing that 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 value of that is thirty thousand four hundred forty one dollars and fifty four cents. Uh, for for the Blue Men Group listeners that remember are watching the price of classic video game titles as an indicator yes. of inflation and of uh, sort of market movement, mm-hmm. we could also take this story as something of a financial uh, bellwether yep. as well. Yep. Um, in that the uh, porn caches are uh, increasing in value. Yeah. Um, prices are going through the roof and. Uh, Mr. Working was able to capitalize on uh, this economic movement. Yeah, he re- he really cornered the market, uh, the porn market, the Michigan uh, old old time porn market in film and and sex toy uh, trade. You know, I I think that is the legal victory of the week. Uh, and I, I hats off to Mr. Working, who I know will be probably celebrating. Um, by working it very hard. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think we know how he's going to be celebrating. <laughs> so let's cl- let's uh, throw the book at him, or or close the book, or something like that for the legal victory of the week. Now, as we go into the last segment of our show, we would like to thank you for listening today, uh, and let's take us take take a little trip down the the tiny little river. We're in a little tiny boat right now, and I see two little doors opening. It's kind of like the, the imaginary world of Willy Wonka. He lives in one of those. We're in one of those, too, and it's called the Blue Men Group world. And those little <laughs> tiny doors are opening up right now, and Devin and I are paddling in. And, oh, what's that? It's a bunch of numbers. It's our dashboard. And we're here to look at our numbers, and to be honest, they're a bit low. <laughs> <laughs> um, Kinsey's kickstand, my favorite episode. Oh yeah, oh it's it did it did good. It did good. We're doing good. We're up two percent on the previous fourteen days. So okay. I mean, you can't no, you I'm can't not argue with that. That's true. That's true. And you can't argue with the first month listens of Kinsey's kickstand, one hundred and sixteen. That's uh, that is that's true. good stuff. That's good stuff. We're getting out. We're we're working those over hundred numbers. That's that's where it should be. Every mm-hmm. episode. Listen, we blast past that 5,000 uh, all-time downloads mark a few episodes ago. Now we're at 50. We're on our way to 5,500. Yeah, 5,413. Yeah, 87 away. Yeah, we're, we're it's it's happening. It's happening. And we're, now, listen, we're doing it with, we're, we're trying, we have two people here doing it right now. And and who who knows? That that's That's something new, right? And let's look at our global numbers as we like to do. Canada. 
13.9% of our listenership. What holding, was our goal? Holding, Did we want it up to 15? Uh, we wanted it to go up to 15. Yeah, we didn't quite get there, but, um, you know, we're doing good. Yep. South Africa leads Australia this week. Argentina, we need those numbers. And the Netherlands, new to the uh, new to the group. I don't see much. Yeah. Austria's fallen off the, the charts. Wow. So, since we since we shouted out Austria, they all tuned out. Yeah, we we, <laughs> we claim to be essentially Austrian. I think for that ep- we we yeah said we're basically Austrian. We said we're gonna be playing some live shows in the Franz Liszt Amphitheater or something like that. Yeah, and Aust- yeah. N- Austrians come back. We need you. Yeah, we're we not need gonna need you. We need that. We may have to boost South Africa now. Like. Listen, I know that there's three or four different capitals. Uh, Johannesburg, Cape Town, Bloemfontein, I think. I'm just trying to... They're, they're the judicial capital, the uh, executive capital, whatever. I'm, I don't know much about South Africa, but if you're listening there, please reach out and let me know if what I should know about South Africa. Absolutely. Devin. Well, I guess we can bring this one to a close. We're missing John. We're sad. We are. Uh, we're feeling lonely here. There's an empty spot at the big uh, last week's numbers desk. Yeah. Uh, the seat is cold. It's very cold, and it's, and it's spinning. It's like a spinny chair, and it hasn't stopped spinning since we started recording, which is weird. Yeah. Could be just the kinetic energy in the air for John's brand new baby which we love and we're very happy about but he will not be getting paid for episodes that he is not a part of ladies and gentlemen thank you so much for listening Devin. thank you very much for joining me today thank you for having me and we will see you next week bye-bye nice nice